Ten years ago today, the most extraordinary event took place. All we have to say is 9-11, and we know what that was. If we could take the time, how many of you would uh, could tell us exactly where you were when you learned about that, that event? Let me see. Yeah, I think every single hand is raised. It was interesting, Friday night I preached at a small congregation mostly of immigrant peoples, and many of them had not been in the country even in 9-11, and I said, how many of you remember or could tell a story about 9-11? Uh, and same thing happened, every single hand went up. This was, in a, this was the day that changed the world, and we're still living with that change, aren't we? Um, the thought is that uh, in, in my generation, the moment that uh, we all can say I know exactly where I were was the assassination of John Kennedy, President Kennedy. For my parents' generation, uh, they would tell you the same thing about the bombing of Pearl Harbor in 1941 that got us into World War II. For your generation, that moment that will be forever fixed in your mind is 9-11. Uh, and uh, inasmuch as the 10th anniversary comes on a Sunday when we're gathered together, uh, I, was, I was reflecting on the fact that uh, obviously that's all that the news in the world is talking about, uh, that focus on endlessly watching those planes fly into the... Uh, towers in, in New York, but but we as God's people should come together and reflect and think about uh, the meaning and the impact of that day as well. Uh, my mind went back, in my own case, to, uh, to that day. It, it, I believe it was a Tuesday, but uh, I was at the time uh, pastor of uh, New Life Northeast, like these guys, this was a great day for me, guys, to have the Ruff family, the Ruff family singers up there lead us, leading us in worship. Uh, we were meeting in Austin, Meehan at the time, but I was getting ready to actually come in to, to work in the office, and I had a son, a call from my son who was at the University of Pittsburgh, and uh, picked up the phone. He said, Dad, Dad, you got to turn on the television. I, I was listening to Howard Stern, and he told us that a plane just flew into the Twin Towers. Now, that used to drive Sandy and I crazy, that Will was listening to Howard Stern. So I hate to acknowledge, I hate to acknowledge it was thanks to Howard Stern that I found out about 9-11. Uh, but in fact, I turned on the television, and at that point, we watched that first tower burning. And I thought, how awful, what a terrible accident that a plane would fly into the twin to the, to the uh, World Trade Center. And, and think of the people that are dying in that flame, and I'm watching it on television. And that may be when some of you started tuning in and getting the news. But as we watched a second plane flew into the other building of the World Trade Center. 
And all of a sudden there was the sense of, no, this is not an accident. Something is happening. Something unspeakable and terrible is happening. And, and you just watched in horror. And then all of a sudden the word came, there's been a plane wreck in Washington, D.C. The Pentagon, of course, all this is coming in bits and pieces. And somebody said a small plane has flown in and hit the Pentagon. Well, as the news unfolded, it turned out it wasn't a small plane. It was another large airliner. And uh, the horrific idea of a third plane crashing into the Pentagon. And what was absolutely bizarre, and I remember this, that they were, I turned it off last night. They, had a, they were doing the playback of the, of the tapes, but I remember literally hearing them describe what was happening at the Pentagon while they had the TV screen on the Twin Towers, the World Trade Center. And the commentator is talking about what's happening in Washington. And all of a sudden we watched, and the first of those towers started just simply collapsing. And suddenly he switched and realized what was happening. And again, to be watching on television to what you had to think were thousands of people at that moment being crushed and burned. And you knew the same thing was going to happen to the next one, and all you could do is sit and watch and wait. But while we were waiting, word came of a plane crash out in, Pits, uh, out in the western Pennsylvania. I, I think that's the sequence. You know, yeah, but these memories are pretty well locked in my mind. But every time that happened, crash, 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 it was another crushing blow. And unlike those other events that we talked about, we're sitting there watching it live on television. I know in, in one way or another, all of you participated in, in those terrible events. Sandy was watching one of our grandchildren, actually, in a park nearby. And again, that was just simply all the women gathered and were listening on their, on their uh, radios or phones at the time, trying to sort out what in the world was happening. Remember that? We were there. This is not ancient history, is it? Something we lived but I remember uh, watching for, I don't know, you know, just one thing after another just kept happening. But after a while, you just, you just couldn't take anymore. You just sort of saturated. I finally remember uh, feeling I've got to somehow sort out what's going on to this country that I love so much. And um, we, were, we were in Washington, as most of you know, for 30 years pastoring. And so, uh, you know, we've... Well, I don't know. I didn't know someone actually in that Pentagon event, but we knew lots of people associated with that. I finally turned off the television and, and went back up to my study, same house where we live now. And I said, "I, you know, I, I have to somehow stop and pray and think about what in the world is going on." And as I sat and reflected and prayed. The text that came, a text came to my mind, and it was this. No king is saved by the strength of his army. Because what was going through my mind is we are the, the mightiest nation 
on the face of the earth. At that point, you know, the Soviet Union had collapsed. We were, as we like to call ourselves, the only superpower that existed. That's what we call ourselves, a superpower. Financially, we were at the top of the world, literally. No one could even come close to the, to the financial power of the United States. And that was really a time of prosperity. People forget the, the tax cuts that people talk about with uh, President Bush came about because the United States was taking in so much money at the time that we were thinking about, well, maybe we should just pay off the whole national debt. And the decision was, no, let's give some of it back to the people since we don't need it anymore. That's how rich we were. And the symbol of that was the World Trade Center in New York City, most prosperous city in the world. And what had happened to this mighty nation? We'd been brought to our knees and humbled. Our military power, if it's represented in the Pentagon, smashed. Our financial power, if it's represented in the World Trade Center, crushed. Well, the text actually comes out of Psalm 33, as I began to discover. And that's why I went back to it. I ended up that Sunday when I preached at New Life Northeast. You guys may remember, I saw this passage I preached on, Psalm 33. And I, I went back and reflected on it again. And I thought, really, it's, it's a very worthy passage to reflect on. It's verses 16 and 17. Look at that. Again, if you will, this is what, uh, what drew my attention when I get, went back and looked it up. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue Boy, was that true for us as a country on 9-11. But as I reflected on this text again 10 years later, I realized that there are so many other ways in which we come to places of insecurity. Just life just doesn't work out the way we expect it to. And if most of you have already encountered that on some level, if you haven't, you will for sure. And so I want us to simply, in the time we have left this morning, read through Psalm 33. And I, I hope and pray, I'll make some remarks, but I hope and pray that you'll just sort of lock this away as a wonderful, wonderful passage of Scripture to go to when I'm at a time of deep insecurity, when I simply don't know which way I'm going to turn, because this is where we rest we rest in the Lord. So open your Bibles back up if you close them and let's let's be looking together. I want to read sections of it in unison in Psalm 33. Daniel, if you'd mind good. Popping it. Popping it up. Let me just show you what this psalm looks like. Kind of an, an overview. And then we'll go back and pick up the pieces. What you have in the first five verses is a call to worship. And uh, I'm going to read that, just calling us 
to lift our hearts to see God for who he is, to appreciate his majesty and his glory. And then there's a section that, that focuses on the word of God. That is God as he is in heaven, who speaks, who creates, who plans. Then, starting with verse 13, you'll notice that interesting phrase, the Lord looks down from heaven. And so there's really several texts that, that have God looking at what we do as we scurry around trying to live out our lives. And uh, the, the key there really is that the, the ultimate hope is in those who fear the Lord. And that leads to the last three verses, which is really an affirmation of faith, which will take us right into the communion <coughs> as, we, as we reaffirm our faith. As I read, let me call your attention to a, to a, a very significant word. And this really does change people's reading of the Old Testament, if you've never noticed this before. But if you look at the very first verse of chapter 33, shout for joy in the Lord. And notice that the word Lord is in all capitals. Uh, it's reproduced that way, and normally in our uh, um, English Bibles, you see it in uppercase uh, capital letters. Whenever you see that, when you're reading the Old Testament, that's the word for what well, the old traditional pronunciation was Jehovah. Uh, typically today you'll hear it pronounced Yahweh, Y-A-H-W-E-H. It's just simply two ways of pronouncing. But this was the sacred name of God. So later when it says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, it's really blessed is the nation whose God is Jehovah. The word God is it's simply a, a, a general word, but, uh, but this speaks of a very special relationship which God has with those with whom he enters into covenant. Each one of us has several names, don't we? But, I have to tell you, my favorite name for me is Grandpa. Now, I suppose any of you could call me Grandpa, but it doesn't count, right? There are 11 people in this world, and when they say Grandpa, I shine, because that speaks of a very amazing, wonderful relationship which we have. My grandchildren. You know me by other names. Well, in the same way, God is God. He's the mighty God. But there are certain people who can call him by a sacred name, a family name, a covenant name. And that name is the Lord in this capital letter, which is the word Jehovah. And the point is, this whole psalm is speaking to God in this very wonderful covenant relationship. Listen as, as I call us to worship, reading those first verses of Psalm 33. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord. With the lyre, make 
melody to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. We've done that this morning, heaven. For the word of the Lord is upright, and his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Which is telling us right away, folks, the way out of our own insecurity is not to think about our insecurity, not to think about our weakness, not to think about our, our inadequacies. The way out is to begin to reflect on God and who he is, and that's exactly what it does. So the next part of the psalm, which I want you to read with me, focuses on this matter of the word of the Lord. Um, the word of the Lord as creator and the word of the Lord as planner. So let's read together 6 through 12. 6 through 12, and then I'll just make a few remarks. All together, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands firm forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord the people whom he has chosen as his inheritance. Isn't it interesting that one of those foundation stones upon which we can stand is God as creator? Now, if you're not solid on that, you're on shaky ground. It's curious to me, this just keeps coming up. You know, the, the whole political thing going on today, if anyone dares confess that they believe in a creator, they're ridiculed by the press. It's just all through our culture. And what's the answer? Evolution. Don't you believe in evolution? Well, you know what? That's not an answer. The, the current science these days is that eons and eons and eons ago, and they keep redefining the date, there was this unbelievable ball of energy, unimaginable energy that exploded and kept and keeps moving out and out and out. Correct? We call it what? The Big Bang. 
That explains everything, doesn't it? Well, nobody wants to ask the question, but where did the big bag... You know, if God wanted to do it that way, I guess he could have, but the fact of the matter is it still doesn't answer, where did it all come from? And again, without getting into all the technicalities and that sort of thing, I want to say that what the psalmist is saying is if you want an anchor for your soul, understand that it all started with that unimaginable energy, which is the Word of God. When God speaks, the world comes into being. That's really the picture that we have. Furthermore, this same God who speaks and creates the world speaks in another way. And that is the way we talk about making plans. You see that in verses 10 and 11? We make plans, talks about the council of the nations, and what happens? Well, maybe they happen and maybe they don't. Usually they don't. But the fact of the matter is, when God makes a plan, verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Which is to say, is somehow the unspeakable tragedy of 10 years ago part of some eternal purpose and plan of God? I think we have to say so. I don't know how. I don't want to. I don't want to presume anything as to what it means. But we've seen nations rise and fall through the history of the world. Right now, we're, I think, in what, frankly, is a life and death struggle with a, an, an alternative worldview, which is called Islam. Where is it all going to go? I don't know, except I do know this. And I think we need to stand on this. The counsels of the Lord will stand. And friends, you and I, although we do not see how it's all true, are part of an unfolding ultimate purpose of God in which one day the entire world will be covered with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters covered the sea. That's the prophecy. That's the plan. And those people who are part of that plan are the blessed people. That's verse 12. You know, as Americans, we are so presumptuous. We want to take every verse that we like and say it's true for us. And I've heard, with all due respect to many uh, good friends, the, this quote, verse 12 quoted as being true. That's America. Blessed is the nation is God is the Lord. Well, we are a blessed nation. We've been blessed all out of proportion. To what we deserve. But the blessed people are those who, who, with whom God has entered into covenant. That is, the, the, the people of Israel, who in turn were to bless the whole world. Those, these are the people whom he has chosen for his inheritance. So let us, in our insecurity, stand upon God the Creator and God whose plan is perfect. But now look at the next part of the psalm, which is also to give us assurance. And th this describes God looking out from heaven. 
It's almost amusing. We know God doesn't sort of sit on a cloud and I can't move. <laughs> he doesn't sit on a cloud and adjust his uh, binoculars so he can see what's going on. But for the benefit of us, you know, very limited human beings, this is the picture that's painted, isn't it? God looking down from heaven. Let's read that next section of uh, Psalm 33 together. It's verses 13 through 19. Verses 13 through 19. Uh, describing what God sees as he looks uh, down on the earth at all of us. Together, the Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the heart of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. The one thing I call to your attention in this portion is that reference in verse 18 to the fear of the Lord. That's where deliverance comes from. Not from human strength, but this phrase, the fear of the Lord. Now, if you put that together with the next, the next part of the verse, and that's how Hebrew poetry is written, by the way. One phrase is repeated in simply other words in the second phrase. And uh, notice, to fear the Lord is to hope in his steadfast love. So when we say fear the Lord, we don't mean be terrified of God. We mean be in awe of God. Be humble before him because, in fact, he is the God who pours out his steadfast love on us. If you look over in verse 5, it says the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. But the difference is that the, the love of God, that special love is everywhere, but we embrace it. We hold on to it. And so in the end, you have this affirmation of waiting for the Lord, of finding our hope and our trust in Him. And friends, whatever... The source of anxiety and insecurity that we're looking at. You know, we've, we've talked about one that's kind of got our attention right now. But it will pass. As terrible as it was. And some other crisis will come along. Whether it's an international crisis or whether it's something you personally will have to deal with. Let me just call you back. And say, I, I trust and pray that you'll, you'll kind of open up your Bible and you'll read again Psalm 33. And let this be your affirmation of faith and trust. That you personally can say those words in verses 20 through 22, which is how I want us to end our time together this morning. And apply it to whatever it is that's going on in your life at the moment.
Let's, let's say those words together. In fact, I want us to read them twice. And uh, somehow sounding them out, saying them, uh, at least for me, brings it even more, uh, more home. So let's read together verses 20 through 22 as we uh, come now to, to affirm that through this communion service. Together, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Again, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Let's pray. Our great God, you who are the creator of all, you who have a plan and a purpose for everything in life, not that we can see it all, we can't see even a portion of, of your great plan and purpose, but we pray for that day. We pray for your kingdom to come, for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we know, Lord, that nations rise and falls, rise and fall, empires come and they go. But Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so, Lord, I pray that we would find comfort and reassurance in realizing that there is something far, far greater going on than our lives, than our problems, and our struggles. But you are the great God, the Lord of history, the Lord of the universe, but you're also a God who cares for your people. You do see us. You see everything that happens to us, and you care. That's our hope today, Lord. Not in anything in ourselves, but in your steadfast love. Thank you that we can be reassured, because you gave your own Son, our Lord Jesus. You shed his blood that we might have the forgiveness of sins, but the healing of our needs. So meet with us now, we pray, as we come to this Holy Communion, to remember Jesus until he comes. In his name, amen.